Welcome to the All About the Medicine podcast with Dr. Nola Nose. So let's start this podcast off with a little joke. What did the doctor say to the rocket ship? Time to get a booster shot. Hi, I'm Dr. Courtney Washington, board-certified family medicine physician, owner and CEO of Florida Lee Primary Care Clinic. And today we have a guest. Her name is Dr. Mia Weber. I am Dr. Mia Weber, board-certified pediatrician. I am owner and physician at Leap Pediatrics Clinic um, in Harvey, Louisiana. I am born and raised in New Orleans. I trained, well, I went to Xavier University, trained at LSU, uh, (laughs) um, and did my residency at Children's Hospital of New Orleans. Awesome, awesome. So today we are gonna discuss when to go to your primary care physician or the pediatrician versus urgent care versus ER. I work in the ER a lot. I've worked in urgent care in Fort Worth and Dallas, and I've been all around. So I see this kind of confused a lot, and I want to save you guys time and get you the best treatment. So we are going to talk about the most common things that we see our patients go to the ER for that could be handled by us. So the first one we're going to talk about is fever. So from an adult standpoint, if you just started getting a fever, It really depends on your age, your medical history, immune competence. If you have cancer going through chemo, there's a whole bunch of reasons you can have a fever. But for most of us that are normally healthy, if you have new onset fever, it's probably viral. And there's more viruses than just COVID. So when we talk about the common cold, there's a whole host of rhinoviruses. So usually that's not a reason to go to the ER. Try over-the-counter medications first, and then your primary care physician is going to be the best person to kind of work that fever up. Most of the time it's viral, and viruses do not, I repeat, viruses do not need antibiotics. And I will let the pediatrician tell you about the beads. (laughs) Yes, for pediatrics, neonatal fevers or fever in a baby under one month is really the only medical emergency that we worry about unless there are some other symptoms that are going along with it that make the baby or the child um, have problems. So for the most part, a fever is considered over 100.4 So that's 100.5 and up. Um, If you have a thermometer, you would know that subjective fevers usually are just subjective fevers. You can have um, a febrile seizure if the fever rises quickly. It's not according to how high the fever is. So even a fever of 103 or 104 can be handled in your doctor's office. It doesn't necessarily have to go to the ER. Absolutely. And the subjective fevers Thermometers, they sell them at the dollar store. It's very, very important, especially for those kiddos that are less than one month. I need to know the number. So subjective fever doesn't help us a lot because that's going to determine whether I need to transfer this baby to Children's Hospital and get a workup, which includes a spinal tap because it could be meningitis. So we really need to know that number. Given antibiotics when you don't have a bacterial infection is actually detrimental to your normal flora of your gut. So we have a whole host of bacteria that protect us from the bad bacteria that you kill off when you take antibiotics. It leads to antibiotic resistance by bacteria. Bacteria reproduce rapidly. So the more that you use those antibiotics, the bacteria will come resistant. And when you really do need it, they won't work. Fever is a generalized symptom, so sometimes it can be coupled with bacterial infections, but the doctor would need to see that. And I'm saying that to say, trust your doctor. Trust your doctor. Don't always go to the emergency room. It's okay to call your physician and tell them the other symptoms because they have the willpower to know what 
um, diseases could go with those that symptomology. So trust your doctor. The ER doctors are great, but continuity of care and knowing who your physician, uh, your physician knowing who you are um, and what your baby normally gets is important as well. Find a doctor that you trust, right? Mm -hmm. So it's all about trust. This is a relationship, right? So if you are going to a doctor as an adult or if you're a pediatrician and you don't feel comfortable, then it might not be the right patient-doctor relationship. So every time that I discharge a patient, like follow up with your primary care or follow up with the pediatrician, like, oh, well, I like you better then find a pediatrician yes. that you like and you can speak to. Yes. Our next most common thing that I see in pediatrics is going to be diarrhea, and I see it in adults too. For adults, diarrhea, again, most of the time is going to be viral. Unless you went to a huge outdoor concert and happened to drink the well water, I do not <laughs> need a stool sample. I repeat, please do not bring me your stool okay <laughs> so it's usually you don't see it. no I don't want to see it. I take your word for it no don't show me pictures I don't need to see it okay so most of the time it's going to be viral and they do have over-the-counter things like Emodium AD the biggest thing is going to be definitely see your primary care physician that knows all of your past medical history Emodium is probably what I'm going to prescribe or I may prescribe Lamoto yeah. is what I prescribe for resistant diarrhea so a lot of the time, just remain hydrated, mm -hmm. right? Stay on top of the fever with Tylenol. Please do not just have a fever adults for uh, 104 for four days. That's not a good thing. Right. Dehydrating yourself. And that can lead to an acute kidney injury, and then you can get really, really, really sick. So definitely see your primary care doctor based upon your history. I'm, it might be a UTI. It might be other things. I don't know, but definitely see me. If it is the weekend, and let's say... You really, really feel like the diarrhea is becoming too much. Imodium isn't working. It depends on your medical history. And please consult with your physician. These are general recommendations, mm -hmm. right? Urgent care is fine. But again, your primary care doctor is going to be a better alternative because they know you and they know your medical history. And urgent care, mm, urgent care, maybe plus or minus. ER, definitely not. The only time to go to the ER for diarrhea would be if you see massive amounts of blood in your stool. Yes massive amounts this has been going on all day then yes please go to the er that that is an emergency because you could be hemorrhaging we don't know so pediatric version of diarrhea pediatric version of diarrhea well, i'm a bit of a specialist in poop because i see a lot of diapers um babies do have frequent stooling um and it is looser so in babies we expect them to have loose stools there's a difference between um, diarrhea and loose stooling in babies. Um, sometimes babies can have a bit of a blood um, streak in their stools when they have diarrhea and when they have malabsorption of formula. But that's not an emergency. That's something that your pediatrician can handle. Um, diarrhea, we do not stop. We don't give Lamoto or Imodium often, um, maybe for the older kids, but not for the younger ones. We feed them through it. If they can maintain their fluid intake, then we just give them what they need. Um, brat diet, bland things, nothing too spicy. Don't do red things because it can scare you if they come out the other end really fast. <laughs> but um, we do give Pedialyte temporarily, but we start those calories going um, over the next you know, day or so. We don't want three days of Pedialyte. Parents tend to um, think that it's okay, but Pedialyte doesn't have calories. We still need to feed the kids and so they won't become lethargic. But an emergency would be diarrhea, and dehydration, less tears, the, ch the child looks lethargic, um, and things like that. So, 
And then at what age would we do Lamoto for pediatric patients? I would say over 12 years old for the most part, but most times I've never had to do that if they just keep up with the brat diet. We give them some Zofran to help settle their stomach. Um, it's very rare that we give um, Imodium, partly because kids can be poor historians and then they get bloated and the Lamotil can also cause some cramping as well. Yes. So we tend to not want to do harm. So we tend to say, feed the baby, give them some, you know, bulking, some starchy stuff like mashed potatoes, bread, rice, crackers, and brothy things. Um, clear fluids and they, they tend to do okay. Absolutely. And pay attention to the age on these medications. A lot of the times the over-the-counter medications, if it says for children six and above, that's what it means. Pediatrics, a lot of the times I see um, patients that come into the ER and say they're two. And then it's like, oh, well, I did give them mucinex. And they have these rashes. I mean, they can get very sick. And the main thing is, is that younger kids, their liver is very immature. So they do not have the enzymes to break it down. So it builds up and it becomes a toxin. And this could be very, very life-threatening, especially with things like aspirin for kids. That is a no-no unless specifically directed by a doctor. Any other warning sign medications? Well, the medication says speak to your doctor for a reason. And so you should not be dosing your own child. Children have a different body composition of fat, so things clear a little differently from them. Even topical things can clear differently mm. with kids. So you don't just go put homeopathic medicines on children. You don't give them the essential oils because it can intoxicate them a little longer and more so than adults. Absolutely. That's a great point. Great point. Our third most common thing that I see in the ER is a rash. So adults and rashes, it definitely is going to depend on your medical history. A rash that is an emergency type of rash is one that is widespread. The most life-threatening one I could think of is Steven Johnson syndrome. And um, that one is a life-threatening emergency. It usually is secondary to some type of um, antibiotic or mm -hmm. something going on. But th that one, if you have a widespread rash, it looks like blisters and it's everywhere, that is an emergency. Definitely come for that. Um, other rashes that um, have been there for a few days and say, you know, it's just starting to bother you on the weekend wait to see your primary care doctor. Uh, it, it, it could be a whole bunch of things, but the ER is really for life-threatening emergencies. And when in doubt, most physicians do have an after-hours number, and someone is always checking it. So if it sounds very suspicious, your primary care can call you back for that. So it's in second opinions in the ER, eat ER physicians are trained for emergencies, yes. right? So the specialist is the person that sees these things more often. So in my primary care practice, I see way more rashes than my counterparts who are board certified ER physicians. Not saying that they may not know it, but it may not be as um, readily rememberable as so to say so rashes are usually not life-threatening with the exception of some if it is life-threatening and you leave a message for your primary care doctor usually they'll call you back and if they feel like it's life-threatening they'll tell you to go to the er and a lot of the times if i'm telling my patient to go to the er i've called the er and given them a heads up with their medical history like hey this is what i'm concerned about so that you're not just sitting there waiting four five six hours and they have gunshot wounds in the back mm. yeah it's not it, that it's not an emergency so peace Peds. Well, peds with rashes. History is important. Symptomology coupled with the rash is important. What symptoms are related? And a picture and those 
um, symptoms on the phone can be perfectly fine for a pediatrician to diagnose whatever rash your child has or even a primary care doctor. We do virtuals. We can, do, we can see rashes and um, diagnose them um, by phone and by virtual visits as well. So you don't have to go to the ER. You can request a virtual visit or a telephone call the next day. Absolutely. Another rash that um, is concerning, though, is uh, for shingles. Shingles rash, especially if it is in this area. Now, I would say probably ER for that because those blisters mm. can be on your cornea and you can lose vision, especially in pediatrics. So it depends mm -hmm. on where it is. But again, mm. if you have that symptom and it happens to be a Saturday, urgent care should be able to recognize that immediately. Or you can call your primary and they can kind of handle that and figure out where to triage and tell you to go. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, a rash is something that we are very capable of handling. And if it needs to be seen mm -hmm. by a dermatologist, we can refer. refer. And shingles is very, very rare in pediatrics. We do give um, vaccines, and sometimes you can actually get shingles around the, vac the vaccine spot, but rarely do I sh see shingles. Newborns that have shingles because they've been exposed mm -hmm. to it, they, that does happen. So that is an emergency. Fourth most common thing that I see is fractures. For adults, and this is for peds too, and I'll let Dr. Weber kind of go more into this with peds. So when I worked in urgent care, I would see a lot of patients that come to the urgent care for fractures. A lot of the times if it's non-displaced, meaning that it, the bone is in anatomical alignment, the only way that I know that it's broke is that you said you fell you know, off the roof mm -hmm. and you came in and I did an x-ray and I'm like, oh wow, it's broken. Those I can kind of put in a sling and manage ortho follow-up because there's no urgent reason to take you to the OR. If you have a fracture and the joint or the bone is not an anatomical alignment, meaning it's deformed, if your wrist is over here, that's a problem. Do not come to the urgent care with that. All I have is an x-ray machine and I am not a surgeon. They don't have surgeons in urgent care. That is ER. And a lot of the times you have very important nerves and vasculature and those could be compromised mm -hmm. if you waste time going to an urgent care. You need to be in an ER and we need to call a surgeon because you can lose the function of your hand or some other part of your body from a fracture that bad. Um, also, if you see bone sticking out, that is a compound fracture. That, mm. the, the ER, I cannot help you. Uh, your primary care cannot help you <laughs> in that situation. Right. That is an emergency. That is a, a point to where you, you definitely want you want to go. So pediatric mm -hmm. version on. That. Pediatric version. Kids are just busy. Kids like to climb. They like to jump. They like to run, and they um, get abused. So we do see fractures and um, pediatrics. Now, if it's displaced, definitely you need to go to the ER. If you see where the fingers look deformed or the arm looks deformed, then that's an ER visit. Now, a lot of times kids that are young may just fall on their outstretched arms. It's very rare for a child under four years old to actually cause their own fracture. Kids are kind of made to bump and bruise and bend, and they do bruise, but they don't necessarily fracture themselves. Now, if they fell from a two-story building, that's a bit of negligence. That's a, that's a bit more involved. They should go to the ER. Um, they fell downstairs. They should go to the ER. But um, most kids 
tend to have sprains, but most kids don't fracture themselves um, unless somebody else is involved, like a parent steps on them or drops them or abuses them. Um, as far as older kids, they tend to get sprains and fractures as well. So again, I agree with what you're saying for the older children. Um, their bones are more um, mineralized and it's not as bendy. So we, we would have um, to do x-rays to see if it really needs to be treated. And that brings me to another thing that I wanted to address as well. CT scans on children. So falls. Mm -hmm. Pediatrics, um, most of the time, we don't want to CT scan a baby. We mm -hmm. don't. That is radiation, and we have to have a really good reason to do that. Physical exams are mm -hmm. going to be very, very important. So say, for instance, your child, you're at the grocery store. Say they're mm -hmm. three. They stand up in the basket. They fall onto their head off the basket, right? Mm -hmm. So they come into the ER, I'm always gonna do a neurological exam, mm -hmm. things like that, I would do an x-ray, mm -hmm. but CT scanning, you're always gonna wanna be very, very cautious mm -hmm. when you do that pediatric recommendations for it. Well, first of all, kids need to sit still and they don't, so you will be putting your kids to sleep in order to do that scan for the most part. Rarely do they let the kids stay awake for a CT scan. And head injuries, minor head injuries do happen, and um, I hate to say it like that, but kids are like basketballs, and older people are like bowling balls. So when we hit the ground, we hit hard. When they hit the ground, they kind of bounce. They have air cells around their brain, so their brain is kind of made to have some accidents, but I wouldn't say that um, we shouldn't examine them and make sure that they're okay. But kids do have fall injuries that don't result in brain injury as much as adults do. Absolutely. And if your kid has a fall, say mm -hmm. they fell and you didn't see it, but they have a knot, if your kid starts to vomit after that a lot, not yes. just once, but vomit a lot, they're very, very lethargic, can't wake them up, that is an ER call. That is not an urgent care call. That's an ER call. And preferably, if you have two hospitals and it, there's a pediatric hospital, please take them to the pediatric, pediatric hospital. hospital. Don't don't pass it up and say, oh, the line is long. Mm -hmm. No, when there's an emergency, we triage. So when I'm working the ER, I'm looking at the board. If I yeah. see kid lethargic, vomited times five, and mm -hmm. I'm seeing that kid first before the rash. Yes. Okay, so that is an ER visit. So it, it really... Depends. Watch that kid, especially after a fall, and watch him with caution, and mm -hmm. you'll know where to go. And if you're unsure, you can always still call your pediatrician, pediatrician. or your primary care. We have mm -hmm. after-hours uh, services, so that would be what I say about that. And mm -hmm. again, CT scans, we don't we do not do that lightly in kids. Mm -hmm. um, and in adults, we don't routinely just CT your head either unless we have a really, really good, good reason, reason to because it is, um, number one, it takes a long time. Number two, radiation, radiation, more radiation. Sutures, cuts, 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 and more cuts. All right. So sometimes in the primary care sector, I can do sutures, but most of the time during the day, these are scheduled visits. Mm -hmm. Urgent care is very capable of yes. doing minor lacerations. A minor laceration is say like you were chopping something and you cut your finger with the knife, mm -hmm. right? So if you don't see the bone, cool, that's mm -hmm. fine. If you say got into an altercation and you grab the blade of a knife and it is squirting out, that's more of an ER mm -hmm. thing. If you can see the bone and if you see like it is squirting, mm -hmm. that may have to be surgically taken care of. Mm -hmm. Another thing, another place where if you get a laceration, you want to go to the ER, 
is the eyelid. The eyelid, you have three different types of skin there. So mm -hmm. sometimes you may need a plastic surgeon to close that. Things that are deep cuts on the face. The face is very, very vascular, very, very opportunistic yes. place to where you can get infections that may spread to the brain and lead to complications. So usually in the ER, we probably in the, the urgent care mm -hmm. we don't want to handle that sometimes that may have to go to the er and go to the or mm -hmm. to have it very well cleaned out um so recap if you see the bone that's an er stitch right mm -hmm. if you have a long like a long laceration that that's 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 the er um so if anything other than something that's minor say i wouldn't say anything longer than maybe four inches and if you see what do you guys do about two teeth hmm? Missing teeth. Missing teeth. So it depends, right? <laughs> and it depends on the age. It depends on the age. So that uh -huh. gets complicated. Missing teeth, if it's freshly knocked out and you can see the root, right? Yes. So you see the root. Uh -huh. You pick that tooth up, right? If this is a, say, a football injury or something like that, they usually have it. They can put it in milk or something like uh -huh. that. I just put it back in the socket. Uh -huh. If the tooth has been in half and you can see the pulp, which is like the middle of the tooth, that's a dentist. That's a, I, I can't, dentist, yeah, right. I, I can't do anything about that. Yeah. Um, if you, I've had a kid that uh, fell on stairs and basically the tooth went into, into the, the gums. I can't fix that in the ER. We're not dentists. And that brings me to dental pain. That's my pet peeve. Mm -hmm. Dental pain. We're not dentists. Dentists go to dental mm -hmm. school. So if you have mm -hmm. an abscess in your mouth or something like that, I don't know how to pull a tooth. Um, I could go get the pliers, but you wouldn't want me to do that, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm not dentist. The only time that we can call a maxillofacial surgeon is say if there is a tooth abscess and it is huge. Mm -hmm. It can spread to the brain, so that is a life-threatening emergency. Maxillofacial will come out for that. Mm -hmm. But other than that, if it's uh, like a cavity or you need a root canal mm -hmm. or even if the tooth is kind of jammed up a little bit, not a super big emergency and they're not going to come out, you'll have to follow up with the dentist um, when they're open. Yeah. For pediatrics, you treat it differently based on if it's a primary tooth or if it's the, the, the permanent tooth. So um, I guess with kids that I've had a lot of kids push their teeth back in, um, yeah, they thought they could fly and they <laughs> it on their face. That happens quite often in pediatrics. Sometimes we save the teeth, sometimes they don't. Um, if it's a football injury, as you said, you can put it back in. If you see the root, um, put it in milk and go straight to your emergency room so somebody can put that in within a couple of hours. As far as lacerations, within six hours, they need to be repaired. With kids, um, we do recommend if it's on the face, um, a plastic surgeon or somebody that can do a really nice um, suture or somebody that has good experience with that. Sometimes mm -hmm. Dermabond is used as well. Again, the child would need to be held down, sometimes sedated a little bit, sometimes the papoose board, a lot of screaming, a lot of tearing up, but that happens. But um, ER for lacerations that are um, needing to be sutured. Our last topic is going to be dysuria in females or males. So I'll start with the adults. So dysuria is basically painful urination, right? Mm -hmm. And so and if we're talking about females versus males, because it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. For females, our urethra is shorter than males, so more commonly getting UTIs. A lot of the time it's going to be due to E. coli because you have to wipe from front 
to back. If you wipe from back to front, some fecal matter can get into the vagina or get into the urethra and then the E. coli mm -hmm. climbs up and it causes an infection and if left untreated, it can go all the way up to the kidney and cause pyelonephritis, which is mm -hmm. an infection of the kidney, which can mm -hmm. be pretty, pretty bad. So that's usually the cause of um, female UTIs. As we get a little bit older, our immune system is not as robust. Mm -hmm. So in the elderly or geriatric population, we do see more commonly UTIs, and that mm -hmm. can lead to urosepsis, where the bacteria that was causing the infection in the bladder actually gets into the bloodstream, and that is a life-threatening emergency. So if you mm -hmm. do have dysuria, you always, always, always don't wait and take azo please if it's during the weekday please make an appointment with your primary care mm -hmm. provider and they can find a way to fit you in and if they can't fit you in sometimes they can start empiric antibiotics and it really depends on if this is a recurrent uti or not we don't usually like to start empiric antibiotics unless it's over the weekend or something like that because we want a urine culture if we start you on antibiotics we don't know what bacteria it is we don't know what it's sensitive to and the more that we treat empirically the more resistant those bacteria get. So that is a primary care uh, type of visit, or if it's on the weekend, and especially if you're elderly, that's perfectly fine for urgent care so that you can be seen, they can get a urine culture and give you antibiotics for it. And if you continue to get frequent urine, uh, urinary tract infections, mm -hmm. we would at some point refer you to a urologist to make sure that the valves are working and that you're not getting reflux or something interesting is happening. For males who get UTIs, mm -hmm. Any male that gets a UTI, that is always going to be a complicated UTI because the male urethra is so much longer. So it's not, something is going on that shouldn't be to where a male is getting a UTI. So we're going to treat that differently. We're always going to want a urine culture if possible, but especially for my elderly population or immunocompromised, if you're on things like Humira or chemo or something like that, we really do want that to be treated. So that is an urgent care type of visit. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you've been having dysuria or painful urination for quite some time and you're starting to get fever chills you feel really sick now that may be an er visit but you can always still call your primary care doctor if you don't have one get one and mm -hmm. they'll recommend where you should go with that now let dr weber talk about the pediatric utis i actually see um, many utis in girls especially young girls that are starting to um potty train and take over four years old about because i think the schools are now telling the kids that they have to do it all on their own and it's oh. because they don't wipe correctly and appropriately and they also have a bunch of other things like vaginitis they tend to sit on the toilet like princesses they wipe mm -hmm. the wrong way um so we do get about three or four uh little girls that come in with with um, common UTIs. The next age is um, when they become sexually active. Um, you, you know when your daughter is sexually active because she definitely gets a UTI the first time or first couple of times. So that's my other wave of patients that get it. And of course, some of these young ladies don't wipe the right way either. They don't know how to clean and appropriately take care of themselves after that. So UTIs are very common in, in the young girls. The boys get them as well. Um, but not as often as you said before, um, it's, and it's more complicated. I do have kids that come in, and one of the things we check every time they pee in the bed um, is for a UTI, because sometimes kids are just not good historians. They mm -hmm. sometimes live 
with this, <laughs> um, you know, enuresis and you don't understand why until you check. Um, I did, I have little boys that do that. And sometimes it starts off with constipation mm -hmm. that leads for them to have enuresis. So um, we treat that as well. All, like you said, the antibiotics, all antibiotics aren't created equal. Um, we want to get some urine and test it to make sure that we're treating it appropriately as well. And we want to recheck for little kids that it's gone away because they're not going to tell you, hey, I feel UTI again. So that's important. Um, going to the ER for those things, um, for high fevers, if they have like back pain, um, mm -hmm. little girls that have Fitzhugh Curtis or they have chlamydia, gonorrhea, along with that dysuria, boys sometimes can have that as well. Um, and so the those are not emergencies, but if it's something that's causing them extreme abdominal pain, or we call it the, 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 what you call it, the, they're doing abdominal shuffle with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the ER is warranted. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So I hope this really gave you guys a good overview of when to see your primary care physician or your pediatrician versus the ER versus urgent care. Mm -hmm. So just to summarize, um, we know our patients a whole lot more. It's a whole lot uh, more intimate type of relationship. Most of my patients, I know their medical history, I know them. So it's it's better treatment because I'm going from a different lens. I would treat that patient or what treatment is going to be appropriate because it's, say if, for example, I have a patient that's on Humira for psoriatic arthritis, right? Mm -hmm. And they're coming in with dysuria. That would probably definitely change my course of action of what antibiotic I would pick based mm -hmm. upon their medical history. And that's kind of hard sometimes to get in the ER when so many things are going on. And then if I get a sample and I send it off for culture in the ER, the follow-up. Mm -hmm. ER physicians, they, we work in shifts, right? So it's not going to be the same person. So it's, it's, it's not going to be a good continuity of care. Mm -hmm. So we're almost like the specialist when it comes to overall triaging and figuring out what is going to be the best plan of treatment for you. ER is for emergencies. They are trained to put out fires. We are for the person that comes in with a gunshot wound or if this person needs to be admitted to a hospital mm -hmm. for something emergently. So that's why a lot of the times patients get a little frustrated when there's a long wait but what you don't see is there's trauma that's coming in there's somebody that we're intubating there are mm -hmm. complex lacerations mm -hmm. and so even though UTIs is painful it's 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 not pleasant mm -hmm. but someone's dying or has just died in the back mm -hmm. so be patient with us we're human too you know and we mm -hmm. get sick too we have we both are moms and we have little mm -hmm. babies and we've been on the opposite side of this i never like i'm a doctor see me first <laughs> I, I, we don't do that because that's just so disrespectful and that's just not the way the world works the urgent mm -hmm. care i like it it's a cool little niche i mean it's for urgent things that are not super major things. Most mm -hmm. urgent cares only have an x-ray machine and mm -hmm. some of them uh, don't really have much in the way of staff. It's for very, very basic things. Mm -hmm. Do you think you have the flu and you want a flu test? Knock yourself out, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, strep, yeah. things like that. If this is a complex rash and you've been to every specialist in, in the world mm -hmm. and you want a second opinion from urgent care or ER, baby, we we not the ones. We sending you to a specialist, right? Mm -hmm. So we th this is like the gateway into the specialist. Mm -hmm. Trust your doctor. Your your doctor is extremely important. Um, the urgent care, the ER, 
and your Google search, as well as the labels on the medication say, consult with your physician. So it's always good to have a primary care doctor in, in that sense, and they can tell you which specialist to go to. Because I have had some patients that have referred themselves to four and five specialists, and, and they weren't equipped to pinpoint exactly what was going on with their child. You know, um, you have to do some preliminary tests first to see where you need to go next, and there's a, there's a step process. So, and you don't want to do invasive stuff to your kids. You're sending no. them to a GI to be scoped. You send them to a respiratory therapist to get this tube, a ENT to get this procedure. And they, those specialists are basically they specialize in doing procedures. Correct. Some of those procedures are invasive. The general doctor tells you what they think you need to prevent you from doing unnecessary procedures on your child or yourself. Absolutely, because there's an overlap. For example, if I have a kid that's, say, 10 years old and is having enuresis, right, the first thing I'm doing is not referring to a urologist. I'm going to do a whole lot of digging and background first. Mm -hmm. Is this kid being bullied? Is this kid nervous? Was there a recent divorce? Sometimes it can be psychological, mm -hmm. and they may need a psychologist or a psychiatrist other than a urologist mm -hmm. who may end up doing a cystoscope or something invasive. Mm -hmm. So that's why you have to trust your doctor because there is a lot of overlap when it comes to specialists. And we always want to go least invasive yeah. to most invasive. And I leave that for a step up. Another thing is when it comes to adults with, say, for instance, back pain, right? Mm -hmm. I always tell patients when I'm in the ER, back pain is not just back pain. It could be rheumatological. It could be a malignant tumor that's compressing on the nerves. It could be multiple myeloma, which mm -hmm. is a form of cancer. I don't just make an appointment with the orthopedic yes. surgeon. They're yes. not going to be thinking that way because most of the time they're referred, so they've been screened by a physician. Mm. So when I refer a patient to orthopedic surgery, I've already done x-rays. Sometimes I may have even ordered an MRI, and I'm like, oh, this guy has spinal stenosis, which means that they have arthritis in the central canal of their vertebra, and it's pressing on their spinal cord. Mm -hmm. So we know that... Mm -hmm. Probably they need a laminectomy, which is they take a part of the bone to relieve that pressure, mm -hmm. right? So that's what they're expecting. So when you make an appointment with the orthopedic surgeon because you have back pain and you don't have any x-rays, you don't have any anything, mm -hmm. this could be lupus. It could be a whole, bu it could be a whole bunch of host of things, mm -hmm. but that's not what they're going to be looking for. And you're actually delaying the proper diagnosis and may get unnecessary procedures that you don't need because Google is not as equipped as our medical degrees. We study this stuff, we eat, live, and breathe it, we read the updated stuff. Like, mm -hmm. we are thinking, we are thinking with you, we're teasing out every little thing. And when I refer you to a surgeon, they are surgeons, so you probably need surgery. Mm -hmm. I'm not usually referring to a surgeon unless I feel like you need surgery, and we talk about mm -hmm. it because surgery is always a life or death situation. Yes. It's anesthesia, it's recovery, it's all of those mm -hmm. things, and I, we lead those last because once you cut you, you've been cut right been cut. right so definitely and we know that we we have our team of surgeons that are in other specialists that know mm -hmm. and are more experienced in certain aspects with certain patients and also it's about the personality right mm -hmm. certain certain surgeons or specialists kind of mm -hmm. would be more of a better fit for certain patients. Yeah. As a medical community, we're pretty tight. We see each other a lot. We work with each other mm -hmm. a lot. And we always try to pick the best specialist that's going to understand mm -hmm. your specific need. And also, it's about a trust factor, how that person would engage with you. Mm -hmm. So 
Trust us. Trust, talk, talk trust us. us. And we trust certain specialists. And they call us and they say, why would you send this patient to me again? You'd be like, why is that patient going to you? I don't know who sent that patient to you. Or they'll, they'll call you and say, I think you should check this. Or I'm sending them back to you because I don't feel like they need to be seen by me. And so we do, like she said, um, like Dr. Washington said, we talk to the specialist. We, when we're concerned enough to send you to somebody to get a procedure, we pick up the phone and mm -hmm. we, we take their advice very seriously. And we expect the patients to take our advice seriously as well because it's a team effort, you know? It really is. It really is. So I hope that this was informative. We love medicine. We love our patients. And we really do love what we do. Yes. Like, I get excited reading about this, and I love seeing great outcomes. And it always makes me sad when I do get new patients or even my old patients that mm -hmm. cheat on me and go to the ER for something, and then they, it was the wrong thing. It's like, baby... Come on over here. So we will be doing this more. Please comment below. Um, follow us on our social medias. I have them listed below. Again, this is general advice. Please see your personal physician to discuss your personal needs. But we want to hear from you guys, and we want to give you guys some of the knowledge that we have amassed over all of these years of education and learning. And, and time, yeah. It's been a long time. Oh, Lord, a long yeah. time. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us, and you guys enjoy yourselves.